please open your Bibles to Psalm 146. Psalm 146, and uh, let me take a moment to ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word. Gracious, merciful Heavenly Father, we come before Your Word that we might receive from it encouragement, help, Comfort, reminder, challenge, conviction, and nourishment that we need this day. We invite your Holy Spirit to take this truth and minister to us. And we give you thanks for that. Well, normally, when you take a vacation, right, you come back refreshed. To be honest with you, I came back depressed. <laughs> Actually, not necessarily depressed, but very much in a funk emotionally. Um, came back into the office and just was not myself. Um, I kept saying, what, what's wrong? And I didn't know what to say. I just didn't feel whatever. And, and, and there are probably multiple reasons for that. But probably the biggest reason as I processed it was that when I go on vacation, um, it's much more difficult for me to maintain a discipline of being in the Word of God because I'm out of routine. My routine is set, and I'm in God's Word each morning uh, on, on normal times throughout the year. But when I go on vacation, my schedule changes, and it's harder for me to make time. Some of that is because other people are dictating my time, right? There's all kinds of other things going on, and people are doing this, and all kind of, and you plan everything during vacation. You'd think you'd have more time, but you seem to have less time. But even though um, that's the case, I often struggle with that. And so there were several days where I wasn't in God's Word. So I came back, and the reading schedule, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, is in the Psalms. I'm preaching from the Psalms. I was reading Scripture this week, so in the Psalms. And so I was forced to get in the Psalms. And as I did that, God changed my perspective. God pulled me out of that funk that was really about me operating in the flesh and having a fleshly mindset about life, about pers uh, perspective, and forced me to focus upon who God is, upon the truth about what God does and, and what he's about, and give me a different perspective. And because my perspective changed, my attitude changed. And I found myself no longer in a funk. Now I realized I, I wasn't necessarily in a, a 
depression where it takes, you know, time to process these things. It was just an emotional funk. And so I was able to come out of it pretty quickly. But this is what the Word of God does for us. When we neglect to be in the Word, we find that our thinking becomes very much about ourselves and very much dictated by the world in which we live, the culture we are in, immersed in, and the, the situations we are in. But when we're in the Word of God, our perspective changes, and it becomes less about us and more about God. And I needed that attitude and, and perspective adjustment, and, and the Psalms particularly are, are beneficial to us in this. Now, we go throughout the Psalms, and we've talked a little bit about this. The Psalms, there are different themes and different things that happen in the Psalms. And when you're reading through, you, you see things about war, victories as well as defeats. You see sometimes the psalmist is praying, or is writing these Psalms, these what we call imprecatory Psalms, which are basically, God, get my enemies, destroy them. Um, and, and sometimes it's pretty graphic, you know, what he wants them, God to do to his enemies. We see emotions all over the place. But then we come to the end of the book of Psalms, starting with Psalm 146, which begins five psalms called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel means praise in Hebrew. And every one of these psalms, 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150, all begin and end with the same word. Hallelujah. Hallel praise, Yah, is short for Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. That's what hallelujah means. And so each one of them begin and end with this hallelujah. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says this about Psalm 146 and, and praise. He says, praise is where all true religious contemplation should end. When all is said, the hearts of those who are truly God's people beat their last praising God. Do we understand all that is going, all that God is doing in our lives or in the world? Of course not. But we understand enough about the nature of God to praise Him in spite <clears throat> of our difficulties. There's enough difficulties in this world for all of us to find ourselves in a funk, if not in depression. When we focus upon this stuff, we focus upon our circumstances. When we come at all this from a self-focused perspective. But when we go to God's Word, when we go particularly to the Psalms and we, we read about the nature of God, we read about how God works, we read about the emotions that the psalmist is expressing to God for who He is, for what He's done. It provides for us Sometimes the words that we don't, can't come up with ourselves to express what's going on with us. And at the end, we find that it's all about God. 
and all about the praise that he so deserves. So today, as we kind of finish up the Psalms, and next week we'll move into the Proverbs, I want to just look at this first of the five Harel Psalms, though I'm going to reference the other ones, some, some things in the other ones as well. But we're going to look at Psalm 146. Let me read it for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, he sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever by God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. What we find in this psalm, and actually we find in many of these uh, last two psalms, is first of all, the call. The call to praise. In verse 1, right? This is an imperative. We are all called to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, he says. Look at Psalm 147 begins. Praise the Lord. For it is good to praise, to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is becoming. 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. And then verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. And he gives a list of all on the earth that should praise the Lord. He says, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and all winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. 149, verse 1, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of his godly ones. 150, praise the Lord, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty spirit. We see that we are all called, is, all of these are imperatives in the text, which means they're commands, not suggestions. We are called to praise the Lord. To go to God. To find in his word perspective. To focus our attention upon God. Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, talking about the how we live through life fearing man rather than fearing God. And he, he, he talks about the importance of, of shifting our attention away from focusing upon 
needing people's approval and, and, and moving toward a different perspective. In fact, one thing he says I love is we need to need people less and love people more. We need to change our focus from I need people to give me life, to help me feel good about myself, to now living in such a way that I pour into other people, that I love people and help meet their needs, and that's my focus and attention. But in the one chapter, he's talking about loving your enemies. He says, when confronted with enemies, we should go directly to the Psalms. If we're not sure how to feel or what to say, in them we are given exactly what we need. What the Psalms do is, le is lean against some of our natural instincts. When we're inclined to take matters into our own hands, the Psalms teach us to trust God. When we would insult ourselves, I'm sorry, when we, we would insulate ourselves from pain, they teach us to trust God. Instead of vowing that we will never again move close to another person, we learn to trust God. Instead of extinguishing hope, the Psalms teach us to trust God and as a result be filled with jubilant, and ex jubilant expectations for the coming of the kingdom. You could say that the Psalms improve our quality of life. We are called to praise the Lord. We are called, all called, to go to his word, to worship the Lord. Second point under the call is the recognition of who God is. And we find that from the word of God, and particularly in the Psalms, provide for us that. The recognition of who God is should produce a response that is joyful and expressive. When we look to the Word of God and we see who God has revealed Himself to be, and we contemplate that reality, no matter what our circumstances are, it should begin to produce within us a response. <laughs> a response that is joyful, and oftentimes expressed in some outward way. In fact, in the theological word book of the Old Testament, which you probably don't want to just read for casual reading, um, but what it does is it gives us um, some deeper understandings of the words in the Old Testament, the Hebrew words. It says this about the word praise. The themes surrounding and included in the verbal expressions of praise show that it is imperative that God in his deity be recognized and that the fullness thereof be affirmed and stated. This is to be offered in an attitude of delight and rejoicing. Belief and joy are inextricably intertwined. And so he's saying, first of all, that God should be recognized. We should stop and ponder that reality and reaffirm and state that truth. And then secondly, he says, it is, in signif it is significant that most of these occurrences are plural. This shows us, that, as does the use of the Psalms in the worship, that praise of Yahweh was especially, though no, by no means uniquely, congregational. This praise could involve choirs and musical instruments too. It could be expressed in speaking, singing, 
and we're dancing. Such praise was an essential element of formal public worship. It is important to note that, strong, that the strong relationship between praise and intellectual content. This isn't just, just coming up with stuff. This is based in truth. That's why worship is in spirit and in what? Truth. When we recognize the truth about who God is, it should produce a response in us. A response that is filled with joy and oftentimes expressive. Look at Psalm 150 for a moment. The concluding psalm. The benediction to not only the fifth book in the psalms, but all of the psalms. Tells us where to worship or where to praise God. It tells us why to praise God. It gives us some examples of how to praise God. And it tells us who should praise God in six verses. Let me read it. Praise the Lord. Where? Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. In other words, praise Him when the people gather in one place, but also praise Him wherever you are in His mighty expanse. Why? Verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him for what He has done and praise Him for who He is. For His mighty deeds, when we, when we experience um, the blessing and benefit of something God has done, when we ponder the reality of our salvation and what God has done through Christ to provide salvation for us, we didn't deserve it. When we realize that, it should to produce in us praise to God for what He's done. When we see how God has worked through circumstances and situations to bring about something in our life that benefits us, when we recognize it, it should produce praise to God and thanksgiving. When we ponder the reality of who He is, His excellent greatness, and He is sovereign over us, as we just sang, it should produce a response in us of praise to God. When we consider the reality that God is a gracious and loving God. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is good. It should produce praise. If we never spend time thinking about who God is, taking His Word and letting that truth get into us and, and process that, we'll probably not spend much time praising. And then he gives us an example of how to do that. <laughs> Verses 3 through 5. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. There's an expression here. There's a, an exuberance, a joy, an expression that He is ex uh, kind of showing here in these images. Now, I, I realize that we are a very reserved culture, particularly in this part of the state, in this part of the country. 
of us have some German in our background, and, and you know some of the stoicism that, that comes with some of the some of that. And and we don't always express things outwardly, like maybe some other cultures do. When is the last time that you were overwhelmed by who God is or something that God has done that has been a benefit to your life that it just you couldn't help yourself but just express it some way outward? You know, I, I think about the contrast between the way that I oftentimes worship the Lord and the way I respond when, uh, when the Steelers do something good. Especially if it's the end of the season and they're still in it. Because I can look and say, well, I'm just not that expressive a person. Oh, yeah, I am in some things. I can tell you if I ever get a hole-in-one playing golf, I probably won't be like, yeah, just another shot. I'll probably be jumping up and down. I'll be calling Mike if he's not with me, right? And Dwayne, I'll be like, hey, guess what just happened? So, so I, I have to sit back and I say, do I, do I process enough? Do I allow the truth to sink deep inside of me that it will produce a response when I realize the reality of this? And what it means that I am privileged to be in a relationship with the God of the universe. We are all called to praise. And when we recognize who God is, it should produce a response of joy that is joyful and oftentimes expressive. Then secondly, we see in verse 2, the psalmist moves from the call to a commitment. He says, I will... Praise the Lord while I live. And I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He takes the call and he makes a commitment. As long as I'm living, I'm going to praise the Lord. As long as there's breath in my lungs and my heart continues to beat, I will praise the Lord. The Lord. That doesn't mean that, that we are not doing anything else, that we're not living life. It means that, that I'm cognizantly aware of who God is, and I'm going to take time. And so I've written down two commitments <clears throat> that we can make. Number one, I will make time to praise the Lord. I will make time. In my schedule, I will, I will designate times where I will spend in God's Word thinking about what His Word says, thinking about who God is and responding to that. So I want to challenge you to make a commitment. And you may have already made a commitment of that, of that sort. Maybe God is calling you to make a different commitment about that, and maybe you're, you're good with that. Maybe you're already there, and, and that's a priority, and it's a discipline in your life. Our relationship with the Lord should be marked with commitment, not just convenience. I remember um, many of you 
may have been around when, when uh, Dick Burr came, and, and this was many, many, many years ago in, in uh, prayer conferences that we had. And um, yeah, he's written a couple books. Uh, but he, I remember him sharing a story uh, in, in that setting, but I've also talked with him about it, and I think it's in his book. I, I was looking for it this week, couldn't find it. But he, he tells a story of a time when he was a new believer. And he was talking with, with a, another a believer who was you know, older than him and more mature than him and talking about his relationship with God. And, and he was just talking about how, uh, you know, I think the guy asked him, you know, what's your prayer life like? Uh, you know, he said, I, I pray on my way, way to work and back and car. And he said, okay, it's good. It's good. You know, get your mind focused on the Lord as you're heading on to work. What, what else? Well, I mean, that's when I pray. And then, you know, talking about that, and he said, Dick, he said, I'm going to pray that your relationship with God is based on commitment and not on convenience. And he said, I, I was taken back. In fact, I was a little angry. <laughs> now, who are you? How dare you tell me that, right? And yet the reality is, for, for us, we've got to look at our life and say, do I spend time with God when it works for me, when it's convenient for me? I mean, yeah, I guess it's wonderful to, to praise the Lord and to, to talk to Him and to listen to Scripture and the way to work, whatever. And I, I'll highly commend you to do that. But it is kind of convenient because you're stuck in the car and there's nowhere else to go and nothing else to do other than listen to something else. What about making time where you choose to not do one thing so that you can spend time with your Heavenly Father? Cultivating relationship. What about a commitment to say nothing else is going to interfere in this time? This is for the Lord. I think that there will be a jump in your walk with Christ when, when, if this is not true for you already, when you decide that this is a high enough priority that I'm going to make time. There probably isn't a person in the hearing of my voice right now who would not agree this is important. But I can almost guarantee you there are people in the hearing of my voice right now who have not made this a priority. So I want to challenge you. Make time to praise the Lord, to be in His Word, to let the truth of who God is from the text sink in, ponder that, and respond to it. How you respond to it, what that praise looks like, may, may be maybe just singing. You might sing to the Lord. For some of you, maybe do that by yourself for the benefit of other people. Yeah. It might might look like, okay, what God, where do you want me, who do you want me to serve today? That's how I would praise the Lord. That's how I'll express it. I don't know what that will look like, but make time. Secondly, I will praise the Lord whether I feel like it. That's commitment. Yeah. 
We've all been in places like this, right? Where we're just like, I, I just don't feel like it. Do it anyway. We, we tend to operate often out of feelings. And so we, we tend, we're like, well, if I don't feel like it, then why should I do it? Because God is worthy of our praise and our worship, whether we feel like it or not. Just, just go to the Gospels and see Jesus in the garden when he was facing the cross. Did he feel like going to the cross? Well, we don't know what he felt, but we know what he prayed. Father, if there's any way possible to take this cup from me, basically saying, I don't feel like going to the cross. Yet, not my will, but thine be done. challenge you to make it a commitment to be with God to let the truth of who God is fill your heart when we focus our attention on who God is our perspective on life changes we're able to trust the Lord with what's going on which then produces a praise to who he is and what he's doing or has done or has promised to do in our lives. Well, now we come to verse 3, and there seems to be this, what in the world are you talking about trusting in people and all that? Okay, there's a contrast here. Do not trust in princes and mortal men in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, his returns to the earth, and in that very day his thoughts perish. So we don't, do not trust in man who will perish, who, will, who is here today and gone tomorrow. And oftentimes our trust is based in either other people and what they can do or, or ourselves and what we can do. A great contrast between that and trusting the Lord is in Jeremiah. If you turn to the prophet Jeremiah for a moment, Jeremiah chapter 17. In Jeremiah 17, we're going to look at verses, just read verses 5 through, through 8. We see the contrast very clearly. Thus says the Lord, verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the desert and will, be, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony places in the wilderness, a land of salt without an inhabitant. It's going to be dry, dusty, brittle. All the images of the, of the desert. And I, I love that statement in verse 5, whose heart turns away from the Lord. You cannot trust in man and trust in God at the same time. You can trust the Lord to work through another person. But when our trust is in people or a person, that's when we turn away from trusting the Lord. But then it says in contrast, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. 
He'll be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by its stream. will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. What a contrast between the bush that's in the desert, has no water, that's dry and brittle and, and doesn't see prosperity coming, and the tree that's planted right by the stream of water and, and its roots go into that and are nourished continually and the leaves are always green and always produces fruit. That's the contrast of one who trusts in the Lord as opposed to one who's trusting in mankind. And so the psalmist says, do not trust in, whether it's princes or kings or anyone who thinks they have all this stuff, who, who say they can do all this, no, because they perish. On the other hand, the rest of the psalm basically goes on to say, trust in the Lord, verse 10, for he will reign forever. And there are, there are all these different statements in verses 5 through, through 9 about how God works, that he can be trusted. He says, how blessed is he whose help, verse 5, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. God is our hope. There is no hope beyond that. Earlier this week, as I was in the hospital room um, with the Reynolds, and, and Dan was sitting there, and, and just the reminiscing, and we were just chatting, and and kind of enjoying that time uh, with him being alert and, and able to communicate. And something was said about hope. And he said, there is no hope apart from Jesus. You know, as one who is, who's facing the reality, who knows he's facing the reality. I mean, we're all facing the reality of, of our own mortality, but he was right there on the brink of it. He knew it was only a matter of hours or days. There's no hope except this hope. Our hope is in the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth, our creator, the one who put all this together. He keeps faith forever. He holds on to us when we waver in our faith. When we struggle at times with doubt, with fear, when we get our perspective off, God never loses sight. He holds on and He keeps us for Himself. He executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free. Most likely talking about there were particular prisoners, that spiritual prison that many people are in. He takes care of us. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. Again, there is a physical blindness that some people have been delivered from. We see that in the Gospels. Jesus was, was doing that. But we also know there is a spiritual blindness. The Scriptures tell us uh, Paul, Paul writes that the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel. There's a spiritual blindness. God opens the eyes of the blind. Raises up those who are bowed down, who are humble, who are downtrodden and downcast. 
and lifts them up. Brokenhearted. The Lord protects the strangers. Supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. This is how God operates. He is for us. He is working in our lives to build us up, to bring about his plan and his purpose. But he's also working against those who are who are wicked, who are who are walking a wicked path, who are who are cultivating wrong things, who don't have a concern for God. God will thwart those purposes. And some of us have a testimony of, of how we walked away or never were with God for a time, and we 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 found that the Lord was thwarting those purposes to bring us back to Himself. This is how God works. The Lord will reign forever, O God of Jacob, O God of Zion, through all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me end with this. Jay Bridges, in his book, Trusting God, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, But he says there are basically three truths about God that we have to come to grips with. If we're going to really trust God, especially when life doesn't go the way we want it to. First of all, His sovereignty. That God is completely in control. Secondly, His wisdom. He does know all things and He is all wise. And thirdly, His love for us is immeasurable. You see, because if we understand that God loves us, and we know God is for us, and God has a good plan, and God wants to bring about what's good in our life. And if God is all wise, and He knows what's best for us, He he knows what would be in our best interest, because He knows all things. But if God loves us and is all wise, but is not sovereign, then can he really do anything about it? I mean, he might want what's best for me. He might know what's best for me. But until I realize he, he can do what's best for me, and nothing can thwart the purposes of God, he is sovereign. And when I come to grips with those three things, I can rest in that knowledge. That truth then produces a perspective in me, a response in me. I can trust this God no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm thinking, no matter what I'm experiencing in this life. I can trust a sovereign God who is all wise and who is all loving. Because he is bringing about something in my life that in this moment I can't understand. But when I look back at the end, I can see how this all comes together for my good and for his glory. When we're nodding God's word consistently, we have a hard time believing those things. When we're in God's word consistently, we have a hard time believing those things. But we see it over and over and over again. And we're confronted with the reality. Do I live by faith in the word of God? Or do I live by feeling? 
Feelings will, will take you down the wrong path every time. In fact, the Proverbs tell us he who trusts his own heart is a fool. And so we don't want to be a fool. We want to trust the Lord. And we will not know who God is until we're in his word consistently. And so I challenge you, if you haven't already, make a commitment. Whatever it's going to take, whatever you've got to set aside, whatever you've got to give up to be consistently in God's word, to make that a discipline, to make that a commitment, do it. A year from now, you will be thanking God that you made that commitment. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, you are so good. Oftentimes, Lord, we, we must acknowledge your goodness, your love for us, and your sovereignty wisdom, all these things, we must do it by faith because in the moment we don't feel it because life has turned things upside down on us, because our circumstances are hard, because we're, we're feeling a sense of fear or apprehension or nervousness. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're supposed to do in these situations, and, and so we have a harder time. But God, as we're in your word and we see the examples in Scripture of how you work. We see the truth. We see the responses of a psalmist and we let those words become our words. We express our faith, our trust in you. We're renewed and revived again. And we're able to face whatever comes. Lord, we acknowledge today our trust in you. Help us to live that. Help us to praise you for who you are. Because you are indeed good, faithful, loving, kind, generous, sovereign, almighty, all-knowing, ever-present, holy, merciful. You are good. Help us to lift our praise to you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Would you stand as we acknowledge the, the greatness of God by singing, How Great Thou Art.